welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. Take your Bibles, please, and let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, or you can grab uh, one of the Bibles in front of you, and you can turn it to page 304, page 304. If you did not get one of these handouts and you'd like one, we'll make sure that the ushers get you one, these handouts here. So while they're handing them out, if you do have it, just want to make your attention. The reason I want you to have it is because there are some main points up on the screen that I'll have, but I got some other points that you'll have an opportunity to write out. Um, on there. And this also gives to you our messages for the next several weeks. We uh, started in November, or ended in November, our series on 1 Samuel, at least took a break. And then we jumped in and got started again um, when we went into, uh, excuse me, we went through Christmas and had our Advent focus and then our core values. So now we're back at it. And uh, we want to make sure that you can see the next several messages there that we're going to be going over in 1 Samuel um, chapter 16, is where we're starting at. So Now, I want to kind of remind you where we're at. How did we get here so that we're aware of what's happening and what's taking place and we uh, understand where uh, where we kind of left off at in chapter number 15? Now, because of chapter 15, the throne was stripped from Saul because he had failed yet again to listen to the clear commands of God. And Israel had failed again. Remember back in chapter 4, Israel decided to take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. Instead of trusting and pleading to the Ark of the God of the Ark, they decided to bring the Ark in. God didn't have that as a part of the plan. They lost the Ark. God judged the Philistines as a result of it, but he also judged Israel as a result of it. You'd think that they would learn, but they keep their eyes focused, which we're going to focus a lot on today. Their eyes focused around them, and then we see in chapter 8, where once again you see Israel saying, hey, we want a king. Why did they want a king? First they gave a false reason. Samuel, you're getting old. Your kids aren't serving the Lord. But really that wasn't the reason. They were looking around, and as they looked around, what did they see? They saw other nations that had kings, and then we said, we want to be like them. Well, and that's still a cry today, isn't it? We want to be like the world. They look like they have it together. They have money. They have this. They have that. But they don't have Christ They don't have Christ that saves them from their sins. And so when you see this and realize this, that Israel once again did the same thing we often did. They needed the ark they felt, that physical one. They needed to have a king that they wanted to have. And this king had been a failure in so many ways, and finally God had to say, enough. I'm taking away from your lineage and your line, Saul, the opportunity to be able to be a kingly line and I'm giving it to somebody else. So what happens? We're gonna have David who's to come on the scene here in chapter number 16. And you know what I love about God is that when God could have walked away from Israel several times in his love and in his mercy, he always came back again and gave them yet another opportunity, another chance. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but it's easy to get preachy and judgmental when we see what Israel does. I mean, come on. Israel, and then God reminds me of, come on, John, how many times do you try to do things in your way, in your way that you want it, in your time frame, with your desires in line, trying to spiritualize it even, 
knowing fully well that God has a plan if I'll allow him to lead. But you know what? I'm impatient. I'm stubborn. I'm self-centered. And I think many of us here can echo those same things. And so even though we know what God is all about, we reject that for the immediate and get ourselves into trouble over and over and over again. Israel is there. And as we enter chapter 16, that's the scenario and the situation where Israel is at. So we see in verse number one, we're going to talk about the fact that God said to Samuel, stop mourning and start moving. <laughs> Samuel, you got to stop mourning and you got to start moving. And he says this in verse one. And the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Now, once again, that shows to you how much as Samuel was the key player in not only confronting Saul, but coming alongside of Saul and trying to encourage Saul. Samuel deeply loved Saul and wanted him to succeed, and he was still struggling with the fact that Saul was out of the picture now. He was struggling, perhaps in his own mind, like, well, maybe I could have done something different. Maybe I could have said this. Maybe I could have said that. We don't know all the reasons behind it, but we know that he was mourning where Saul ended up at, a man that had so much potential but allowed his own desires to lead him to a spot where God had to take away an opportunity to affect generations of Israelites. And he tells to him, now, now it's time to start moving. So right away he says, stop mourning, and then he says, stop moving in the same verse there. He says, fill, uh, fill your, your horn with oil and go and I'll send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I've provided for myself I provided for myself a king among his sons. Now you notice the wording there is important. Now a second hour, Josh might be hitting on some of this stuff, but the horn of oil, just real quickly, that was a symbolic of the pouring over of the oil over the king was that the spirit of God being the one that would lead that person, that God was in essence in a physical way showing a picture <clears throat> of what would happen with the spirit of God being poured out on whoever the leader was, which we're going to see in verse number 13 come to play. So it was a symbolic situation. It told everybody else there, and you're going to notice as you continue on that actually David is anointed three different times. He's anointed here. You're also going to see him anointed in front of the whole tribe of Judah, and then you're going to see it another time where he's anointed before the whole kingdom of Israel. So in case you kind of think, wait a minute here, why is this going on? It was because he was anointed with his own people, excuse me, his own family. He was anointed with his own people, being a part of the tribe of Judah, and then the, the whole nation that was there ultimately so that they could see that physical sign of that. But it's interesting that God says, I've chosen my guy now. Now, that is a great comfort to all of us when we finally get to the point where we can rely and trust on God's decision and not our decision. God says, I'm going to bring my king in now. Now, by the way, we're going to, uh, we all probably know something about David. If we don't, you're going to learn stuff about him. David wasn't this sinless guy. But David brought some stuff to the table that is necessary for people that are going to be followers of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that as we get into things. When God said to Samuel to stop mourning and start moving, he said a few things that I want to keep in front of us here. I, want to, I mean some principles I want to keep in front of us. The first, time, first one is this. Sometimes we have to be shaken up by God. Sometimes we have to be shaken up by God. 
Samuel's over there, morning, Lord, come on, why not? Why aren't you willing to do this? I mean, why aren't you willing to follow me? Uh, you, you know, in, in, this, in this journey, I mean, what happened here? And I understand that we all have times in our lives where we mourn certain things. It's hard, it's difficult. And God, a lot of times, has to come up into our lives and shake us up. One of the big things I deal with, in, in, and obviously death is a hard one. That's probably what we all think of with mourning. And there's a time we have to move through that. That's why there's stages of grief. But I find a lot of parents I meet with that maybe their kids aren't serving the Lord or making choices that doesn't please the Lord. And I deal with parents who mourn the lost opportunities they had as parents. And I challenge them, you never stop being a parent. You just got to keep at it. And one of the greatest things you can leave with your kids, no matter what they choose to do, is a habit of godly connectivity with your heavenly father, a connectivity with God, your heavenly father, and a life that would please him as you stay on the, the path that God has in front of you. Sometimes, though, God has to shake us up, and he said to Samuel, okay, stop, now once you get the horn, I got a job for you to do now. Israel chose Saul, but God chose David. Sometimes also fear can prevent us from moving. Sometimes we just have to be shaken up by God and God's got to go, hey, get going. I'm with you still. I'm not dead. I have a plan for your life. You're not dead. So keep at it. Don't give up. Don't throw in. Don't retire from life. And then sometimes fear can prevent us from moving. As we continue on here, we see that. What's Samuel's response to that? And Samuel said, how can I... Go, if Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. See, and Samuel's immediate response wasn't excitement that God had another man to lead Israel who Samuel loved. His first response was, oh, I'm gonna, you want me to go do that? I, I could get killed. I mean, come on, God. Now, I mean, if Samuel would just reflect back on what God had done and how God had worked, he'd realize God's got you. But he went immediately to that fear factor. But what about Saul? Because by now, everybody knew Saul was a little bit out there. He'd stopped following God, and he wasn't thinking clearly. But he didn't realize all the ways God had protected Samuel and the nation of Israel up until now. And fear came in. How many times in our life do we allow fear to prevent us from doing what we clearly know God wants us to do? Last week we heard about evangelism. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us are afraid to share our faith because we're afraid of what somebody else might say. We're afraid of response they might give us. We're afraid of rejection. And that's why we have to realize we are just God's mouthpiece. We're not called to save anybody. We're called to share the message, though. Some of us are afraid to speak truth to each other. I love this person. I was talking on the phone yesterday to a brother of mine in the Lord, and uh, he's a pastor at a church, and the elders of the church asked him to do something that's dishonest. And, and when, when my brother in the Lord challenged him about that, he said, you need to tell the other elders, we can't do this. And this elder said to him, I can't say that to the other elders. I'm, a, I'm scared of what they would say. Man, this is a guy supposed to be a man of God, first of all. I'm not saying he doesn't love the Lord, but man, he needs to have the character to do that. But then, as soon as I start to think, thing, I think, Lord, how many times do I allow fear to stop me in those situations from doing what God wants me to do at times? Now, I hope I never ask anybody to sin, 
Now, they definitely need to be confronted on that. But we got to be really careful we point our fingers at others, but remember this, what is allowing you, what's stopping you from doing what God wants you to do? And for many of us, we won't share truth because we're afraid. And God says, speak the truth in love, but speak it. Some of us are afraid to really confront the sins of our life. We're afraid to say, God, really grow me and, and stretch me because we're afraid that things are going to come out of the woodwork that we don't want other people to know about. Maybe the way you treat your spouse. Maybe the way you treat your kids. Maybe the way you treat God or his word. And those things can scare us sometimes. Fear a lot of times prevents us from moving. So sometimes we have to be shaken up by God. Sometimes fear can prevent us from moving. And last underneath this point, sometimes we see the worst in a situation. So we, first of all, we have Samuel over here dealing with fear. And who else is dealing with fear? Continue on with me here. Verse number three. Uh, I'm sorry, um, verse number two still. And Samuel said, how can I go? Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elder of the city came to meet him trembling and saying, do you come peaceably? Now again, fear again by the elders there. Now why, did, why were they scared? Well, if you do look in chapter number 15, what's the last thing Samuel did? He hacked up Agag. So understandable that there might be a little bit of concern there. Hey, who's in our, what did we do wrong? Is he coming to like judge us now? But if you look at the lifetime of Samuel, he was the guy that came and taught the people. He's the person that came and loved on the people. He was the, guy, the prophet, the judge of God that did these amazing things to be able to help the people of Israel. But their response to him right away is, are you coming in peace? Did we do something wrong? Did we blow it somewhere? You see that fear again that comes up, and it's amazing to me how I'll see God work here and work here and work here and work here, and a problem comes up. You know what I do? I assume the worst. Why does that person want to meet with me? What is that person? Oh, uh, uh, what they just texted me. What do they mean by that? Oh, th what, what, well, I know what could happen here. I'm going to go into work today, and I'm not going to have my job. Now, I don't know about you, but there's times I struggle with anxiety, and usually it's about two in the morning. I've shared this before. And those are the times I get these crazy ideas that'll grip my heart that are just lies from the evil one. And we gotta fight against that because they are lies from the evil one and realize the promises of God and the faithfulness of God, the care of God, the love of God. God doesn't bring us in life so he can hang us over a cliff so we can be terrified. Every step of the way that God leads us, remember this, my hand is in his hand. Your hand is in his hand. His promises are your promises. He is your God, he sent a savior for your sins, he loves you, he has an amazing plan for you. He's not walking around with the celestial lightning bolt just waiting for you to step a little bit out of the line so he can plaster you. But we allow fear a lot of times, or we allow looking at the worst case. Uh-oh, Samuel's coming. We must have done something wrong. Hey, no, I'm coming because I'm going to have a sacrifice that I'm going to give to the Lord, and I'm inviting you to do it. Now, some might say, well, why, why could he sacrifice wherever he wanted to? Well, because there was no tabern temple, tabernacle situation, so sacrifices were done in different towns, as long as they were done by the men of God that he had appointed to do that. So it wasn't uncommon. It says they've come to sacrifice 
And he said, peaceably, come to sacrifice the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. I love that. I'm not going to take time, but that whole consecrate, the necessity of coming to God prepared um, and, and confessing our sins. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. So stop mourning and start moving. Sometimes we have to be shaken up by God. Sometimes fear can prevent us from moving, and sometimes we see the worst in a situation. The second main point I want to talk to you about is choosing with your eyes. Choosing with your eyes. So we see in verse number six, when they came, he, that's Samuel, looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. <clears throat> but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks on the heart. See, in life, <clears throat> you would have thought that Samuel would have already recognized. Saul was that, you know, strapping, strong, head and shoulders above most Israelites. The rugged jaw, the ready to be able to handle things, the in-charge type guy and it didn't work out, because looks aren't everything. And most of us know that, but we're still enamored and drawn to certain people that exude strength and ability, and they have that appearance to them that we think, man, I can follow that guy or that girl because of how they look. But what we need to understand when it comes to choosing with our eyes is this, our eyes often deceive us. Our eyes often deceive us. That's why if you talk to people in the, the law enforcement, it's hard to trust even an a, a eyewitness to a crime because our eyes deceive us. I mean, there's lots of times, it starts when you're a kid and you're at home and you're in your bedroom and it's nighttime and a tree outside now looks like a monster, right? Remember when we were kids? You see scary things that aren't really there. Why? Because your emotions are heightened. As adults, we see certain things that throw, it off, throw us off, and we wonder, you know, hey, wait, 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 you know, and we have to look again to see certain aspects of, 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 of life. See, our eyes can deceive us. Remember Lot? God gave Lot and Abraham a choice of where they could go because there was too many, excuse me, too many, uh, the flocks were too large, the people were too many, and finally God says, Abraham and Lot, you guys need to separate, you're, separate your fighting and stuff, and so Abraham says to Lot, Lot, you can choose. And so Lot got on his knees before God and he prayed and said, Lord, guide me, direct me. Is that what happened? No. The Bible says, and Lot looked with his eyes. Wow. Look at that city. Look at that fertile plain. Man, that looks really good. Didn't once acknowledge God, pray to God, or even seek Abraham's wisdom. Totally by his eyes, he made a choice. How'd that turn out for Lot? Not good. Because he went down to the city and started outside of the city and ended up in the city and ended up having to flee the city when half of his family was left behind. And even his wife couldn't bear the thought of leaving. He had to turn around and God took her life. And the story gets worse. See, our eyes can often deceive us, folks. So don't think just because you see something that it's what God wants you to do. Because the grass is greener is still true today. Boy, that church... Or that male or female, and if I'm in a married situation or not, you know, looking at them saying, man, that's a lot better, or man, that job, or this. And if we make decisions purely on our eyesight, we're going to get in trouble over and over and over again 
And I've counseled many people who come to me and said, I thought, when I start to ask them how they made the decision, well, I saw it, it looked good. That's not the only criteria we can go with. See, when Samuel was there, a man who should have known better, when he started to make a decision based on what he saw with his eyes, he was in trouble right away. And this was a man of God, folks, which should remind us that we are capable of that. Not only do our, offens, our eyes often deceive us, but our past can deceive us. See, Samuel might have not even realized this, but reflecting back, but man, before we picked a king, he was tall and he was good looking, he was strong, and, and man, he seemed to be able to command, have a commanding presence. And his past experiences, without thinking it through, immediately made him think, hey, you know what? This has got to be the guy. But remember Israel at the edge of the Red Sea? They got to the edge of the Red Sea there. And then immediately, what did they do? They didn't trust the God that got them to the Red Sea. They looked back, and what did they remember? They didn't remember the deplorability that they were slaves. When they woke up, when they went to bed, what they ate, what they wore, where they worked was all dictated by the Egyptian government. And yet they're at the edge of the Red Sea and they're scared. And what do they reflect on? Not the imprisonment that they had, but, oh, you brought us out here to die? Man, when we were in Egypt, we had all the food we wanted. Are you kidding me? You were slaves. Folks, do we ever think that our past life before Christ was better? Well, I didn't worry. I didn't struggle. I didn't have this. Well, because spiritual warfare is in play now as a child of God because the devil wants to get you out of the game. But the promises of God and walking in obedience to God, regardless of what happens, is always the best route to take. But our past can deceive us. Hey, but, but Saul, I mean, he was good looking. He was, but, but, no, be careful. Choosing with your eyes, our eyes often deceive us. Our past can deceive us. And last, our feelings can deceive us. And I've preached about this recently, but folks, we're in an era that I've seen, maybe it's always been this way, but I see this a lot as a pastor, where we make a lot of decisions based on feelings over truth. A lot of times your feelings are not right, folks. I feel bad for that person. There's nothing wrong with that. But to then allow them, your feelings, to dictate the way that you should treat them instead of what the Bible says is really, really important that we understand that. Because remember Peter? His feelings, I need to protect Christ. So he grabs the sword up and he chops Malchus's ear off and, got, and Christ is like, no, that's not the way we're doing this. But his feelings of loyalty drove him in his heart to be able to do that. That wasn't God's plan. But doesn't that story just in of itself, shouldn't that make us all think, well, I want to be like Peter. But Peter was actually ch chastened by God, by Jesus Christ, for what he did. Why? Because feelings controlled him. Folks, when our feelings are the main thing that controls us instead of the truth of God's word, you will always get in trouble. Our eyes can deceive us. Our past can deceive us. Our feelings can deceive us. We need to be under, understanding that we have to be a people of the truth of God's word. Samuel, the prophet of God, was affected by every single one of these. And God had to say, Samuel, man looks with the eyes, but I look at the heart. 
Now, we could step back, like I said, and we could judge David, that's for sure. We could make claims against him because he certainly sinned. But you know what I think you'll always find it about Samuel, excuse me, about David? David didn't have a sinless heart, but he did have a submissive heart. God's looking for submissive hearts, not sinless hearts, because David blew it big time. But what did Saul do? Saul always vindicated himself, did not submit to what God wanted. He decided that he was going to do it his way. And folks, if you take that line of action, you're going against the very God that sent his son to die on the cross for you. David was not a sinless man, but he was a submissive man. So when we choose with our eyes, we're going to get ourselves into trouble. Last, choosing a heart for God. Choosing a heart for God. If you look with me into verse number 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah. And it's interesting, you see the, 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 the names of all these sons, what their names actually mean in the Hebrew. I'm not going to take time for that, but I encourage you to, to maybe look into that. Verse 9, then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass by before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? So Jesse, when he was there, didn't even think about mentioning that he had a son that wasn't there. That shows you about you know, placement. And he, you know, sometimes there's certain kids are like, Excuse me, did you forget me, Mom and Dad? Many kids have stories about being left somewhere, right? Especially if you have multiple children, there's times that happens. My, uh, I won't go into the stories, but we've all been in those situations. <clears throat> I had one, he wasn't really lost, but he thought he was. He wasn't really left. Uh, the, the, when I was at our former church, it was easy, because if I left, they only lived a couple, uh, you know, not very far away, they could have walked home. Now it's even easier for them to walk home than it was there, but I'm sure they would still say I left them if that came up. So here Samuel is looking at every son, and God's saying, no, not this one. And, and all of them look like good candidates, and not this one, and not this one, and not this one, and not this one. You know what we have to realize? We need to know that God's choice often takes time and patience. And I am not patient. We don't live in a culture that does anything to breed patience. If I want to find something, I can pick up my phone and I can find it. The hours of a store, the directions to get someplace, the root word, the root and meaning of a word, you name it. You got it your phone and you got internet access. You can get whatever you want as quick as you want. We live in a nation where we can get whatever kind of food, whether delivered to your house or going through a drive-thru as quick as we want. We have stores that designate things where the prime items that you want to buy in Pennsylvania, that would be bread, milk, and eggs. There's right near the front where you can quickly grab some of them to go out the door if you need to. We are all set up for impatient people. We are fed that we need to have our needs met immediately. We don't know what it's like to wait anymore. So waiting on God? Man, if I have to wait more than 30 seconds, my patience is tried. So God says, wait a week? Oh my goodness, pull my eyeballs out. Are you kidding me? You know how irritated we get for a stoplight. This one's taking forever. Time it once. Not forever. See, we need to know that God's choice often takes time and patience. God will do his plan in his time. But Lord, would you please, would you work in this person's heart? Keep praying that way. 
God, would you please provide this situation? God, would you please heal this person? God, would you please? He's at work, folks, even if you don't see it. He's not taking a vacation. He's not taking a bathroom break. He's aware and he's in charge and he's got a plan. But we have to be willing to wait patiently for him. Not this son, not this son, not this. Do you have any more sons? Oh, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's out in the fields taking care of the sheep. By the way, that was normally a servant's job. In fact, if you remember, fast forward to when Jesus was born. The shepherds were the guys on the outside of the city because they smelled like sheep. They weren't really welcomed in the city except to get supplies. They were also the ones that heard all the gossip and the news, so they were the perfect ones to have the angels come and tell them that he had arrived, Christ had arrived. Yeah, he's out there taking care of the sheep. I love Samuel's response. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Now, that's an interesting phrase. We don't know where he was at, but a lot of times when they were out with the sheep, they could be a day away. You talk about cold food. Now, we don't know how far away he was. The Bible doesn't say, but Samuel said, guys, we're not doing anything until David gets here. I don't know who, what Jesse did, but I bet you he got the fastest servant to go, you run till your heart bursts, and you get David, you better get him back as quick as you possibly can, because Samuel wants to see him. See, we'll not be led by the word unless we're in the word. Samuel didn't go, okay, God, it's three sons. I don't care what you say. Hey, you, Shama, you're the man. Boy, you think of what a mess that would have been. I don't know what God would have done. But after the fourth son, he could have said, okay, that's enough. After the fifth son, after the sixth son. Now, he was a man who was connected to God. And folks, we will not make decisions that are godly if we're not people who are in the word of God. I just preached a couple weeks ago about teaching and living God's word. We have to be mindful. Podcasts are great, but it's not being in the Word. Devotionals are great, but they're snippets. They're not getting into the Word. We need people to get into the Word. If we want to hear from God, then we've got to spend time with God and be people that are in the Word of God. Samuel was able to do this, and God chose him to do this because he was a man that had spent time and knew God and listened to God. And what he did. We're not going to be led by the word unless we are in the word. Samuel knew that when that last one, even though this was inconvenient, it might have been embarrassing, it might have been uncomfortable, but he did what God wanted him to do because it didn't matter how long it took, they were going to get the right guy because this was God's guy. So he went out to get Jesse. Excuse me, Jesse went out to get David. And he sent verse 12 and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Now, why'd they throw that in there? Because I think what God's trying to share is, hey, he doesn't have to be the ugly duckling. He can look good still, but it's got to be my guy on my terms and in my situations, for my situations. And we see, and the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now, David was the youngest. From what we can tell in biblical history, he probably wasn't super tall, shorter guy. We know that, for instance, when Saul's armor wouldn't fit him, it was too big. So that gives you a little indication. There's some other ones that remind us of that. 
He was a guy that had been used to being out with the sheep. This was not uncommon to him. He knew what it was like to kind of be the runt of the litter. He didn't have the job that was the best job. He'd learned a lot of things out there, though. God knew what he was doing. See, we're going to see the Spirit of God at work when God's plans are being followed. We're going to see the Spirit of God at work when we see God's plans in action. It says, anoint him. In the verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. His job was done. David, I'm sure, can you imagine shock? I mean, an hour ago he was out with the sheep having conversations or singing with them, maybe chatting with the other shepherds. He was thinking about what next song he might write or what next pasture he might take his sheep to or when is he going to get released so he can come home. And now he's sitting there going, I just got anointed king of the whole country. And like I said, David was not a man who had a sinless heart, but he had a submissive heart. And what does God do? That symbolic of anointing of the oil, you see here in verse 13, that the Spirit of God came upon David. This was before, obviously, now modern day when Christ died on the cross and allowed for us salvation. At the point of our salvation, we have the Spirit of God. David, in this case, had the Spirit of God specifically put on him because of the role that he was going to be playing for the future nation or for the nation of Israel as his future unfolded. I have a few things I want you to think about as we consider how we can live this out in our life. Are you actively pursuing God's calling for your life? Now, when I say God's calling, I always think big, like, what does God want me to do when I grow up? No, I'm talking about your daily calling. If you're married, then what are you doing to actively be the husband or wife that God's called you to be? If you're a child, how can you be the best kid for your family? Parents, how can you be the best parent to your kids? How about the job that you hold, the neighborhood you're placed in, the community that you're in, the church family that you're a part of? How can you fulfill the calling of the place God has you right now? Because you don't know what God's got for you next year. When I was younger, I thought I was going to be a youth pastor my whole life. I loved teenagers, loved working with them, loved hanging out with them, still like that. Still love to have our house open and having young people over and laughing and playing games and talking and chatting. Love that stuff. And then God said, John, I want you to move into a different role. And I fought him on it. I didn't know that God wanted me to work with these boring, stuffy adults, which I am one, even more so now. God, what are you talking about? I want to be a youth pastor my whole life, not knowing that God wanted me to work with that age group so that I could learn, knowing that I was becoming more one of those, but also he knew that he wanted me to be able to lead a church someday and plant a church with a group of folks to see what he was going to do here, and now to see this group of folks look to plant a church in Boyertown, and who knows where God will go from there. See, you got to follow God's calling. I praise the Lord, another pastor on the staff of that church came and said, John, you said no to this change of position pretty quick. Why? I said, because I'm a youth pastor. He goes, no, you're a pastor. Maybe you should pray about this. I'm like, I don't need to pray. I'm a youth pastor. Boy, that sounds horrible, doesn't it? Because it is. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, man. Hey, folks, God's got a calling in where you're at right now. We're so oftentimes looking for that grass is greener again. But Lord, if my husband would just, if my wife would just, if my kids would just, if my boss would just, if my employees would just, 
No, you do what God's called you to do to the best of your ability by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and leave it at that because you don't know what God's doing to prepare you for the next. Rick and Ottinger and I were talking and he, they're moving to a point of retirement. He's, I love his word. He goes, I'm not retiring, I'm being reassigned. Isn't that great? Reassigned. Number two, how do you judge? Now, I'm not talking about judges and your bony finger looking at somebody down crossly. I'm talking about when you look back to David, excuse me, to Samuel, he judged, he was making decisions based upon what looked good, what felt good, what his past had said was good. And my question to you is when you make decisions about church, about neighborhoods you're going to move to, about jobs you take, do you take it through the lens of what God would want? But man, they're offering me $15,000 more, and that could be a great thing, but is it what God wants? Get godly counsel and advice. God put elders here to help you walk through that on purpose. I have a good friend who was a part of this church. They got a great deal on a house 45 minutes away, and they moved there, and it took them a year and a half to find a church that they have to drive 30 minutes to now. And he says to me over and over again, I wish I never would have moved. I didn't get any counsel. I just saw a great deal and said, we got to do this. And I could tell you that story on decisions about marriage and finances and parenting and everything else a hundred times over. Because we make decisions and we don't, we'll include people in job decisions sometimes, but God's put this group of people around us. He knew that we needed elders speaking into our life, even shepherds to walk us along the way. He gives us the word of God to do that and the spirit of God. And a lot of times we make decisions though, ooh, I like that. They're going to like me better in that position. I'm going to make more money. I like that neighborhood, that woman, that man, that father, that mother, that situation. And we have to make sure we understand we oftentimes are being misled because we're judging wrongly. Third and last, what are you doing to actively cultivate a heart for God? You're not going to make the right decisions unless you're spending time with God. That means you're in his word. Folks, the older you get, the more you should realize how important it is for you to change your life to get in the Word of God. And we have so many ways we can do that nowadays. There's video Bibles. There's audio Bibles. There's different versions of the Bible. I don't care. Get in the Word, though. I was just telling some of the young men in our church, we were doing a Bible study. I said, you know, I'm amazed that as I just have kept reading the Word of God, how there is advice I can give to people that's back here from the Word of God. And when there's times when I read that section, I thought, what good is this? And God uses it later in your life. Get in the Word of God. You can't make right decisions if you're not praying to God. You can't make right decisions if you don't have people that are godly around you. If all your friends aren't people that are talking to you about the Lord and challenging you in life, they're just friends that you want to hang around with and talk sports about or food about or community about, but not about God, you need to get the right people around you as well. God instructs us on that so that we can make the right choices in our life. Those are all ways that you can actively cultivate a heart for God. David was anointed king. We're entering a new chapter in the Israelites' life. I encourage you, what's the next chapter of your life going to look like? What are these principles will you take and apply? Not just tuck them away, but what's one thing from today you can say, Lord, help me to do this in my life so that I can become more like you and be obedient to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you for all that it tells and instructs us with. 
Thank you, God, for the guidance that we get from it. We pray, Lord, that as we uh, sing a couple more songs, Lord, that we will be encouraged, Lord, by the message and how we can live it out in our life, Father. And that, Lord, we would pursue you with more passion today than we even did yesterday. And we ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen.